Hello and welcome back to Latter-day Ramblings. So today I'll be talking about Brad Wilcox. Now, who is Brad Wilcox? Well, he's a professor at BYU uh, in the Department of Ancient Scripture. He is the second counselor in the Young Men's General Presidency, and he's a motivational speaker of sorts. He's very popular for his BYU speech on grace, His Grace is Sufficient, in which he encourages people uh, to, you know, accept God's grace. So to make them see that the work has been done, that you can't work or earn your way to heaven, but you need to accept that gift of grace that God has given you. And because of this speech, I really liked him. Um, like a few years ago when I first heard that speech, I was like, yeah, I totally resonate with this. Of course God loves me unconditionally. And he's, he's given me this, this grace, this gift. And it really resonated with me. It really toned down my toxic perfectionism and showed me that it's okay to make mistakes and that God will love me anyway. So I'm doing this intentionally, you know, I want to show you the positive side, the positive impact that Brad Wilcox has had in the Mormon sphere. So, okay, I'll show you an excerpt of that uh, BYU speech he gave, and then we'll really get into the meat of this episode. Christ's arrangement with us is similar to a mom providing music lessons for her child. Mom pays the piano teacher. Because mom pays the debt in full, she can turn to her child and ask for something. Practice. Does the child's practice pay the piano teacher? No. Well, does the child's practice repay mom for paying the piano teacher? No. Practicing is how the child shows appreciation for mom's incredible gift. When a young pianist hits a wrong note, we don't say he is not worthy to keep practicing. We don't expect him to be flawless. We just expect him to keep trying. Perfection may be his ultimate goal, but for now, we can be content with progress in the right direction. So yeah, I think it's a pretty neat analogy. I think it's a good message to send people. It allows mistakes. It says that mistakes are part of the learning process and that that's okay and that all you have to do is keep trying. And I think that's what life is, is just keep trying. So yeah, there's really not much to complain about here. I think this is one of the least harmful Mormon messages um, out there, so. Now, fast forward 10 years to the year 2021, when Brad is giving an online fireside for the youth in England. And he starts saying this. You know, a study was done and released recently that was called the Global God Divide. And it talked about how more young people today are identifying themselves as atheists than ever before. It also said that more people today say that you don't have to believe in God to be a good person. You can still be an ethical and good person and not believe in God. So it all sounds really good on paper. Oh, you believe, I don't believe, that's fine. We're all just getting along. But guess what? The study shows that when a crisis hits, that's when suddenly a belief in God makes a difference because 
those who believe are the ones who will turn and help someone else. And those who don't believe, their true colors come out. Well, they say they can be ethical, they say they can be nice, but when the crisis hits, it's the non-believers who will step all over anyone who's in their path to reach their selfish aim, to reach their own ambitious desire. I cannot describe to you the amount this pissed me off the first time I heard this. He's saying all religious people are automatically good because they believe in God. Doesn't matter what kind of God it is, maybe God wants you to commit murder, whatever. And all atheists are automatically bad people because they don't believe in God, they're selfish and they have no moral compass or sense of right and wrong. And if Brad really believes this, then the world must be a scary place, you know, since according to Pew Research, 30% of Americans have no religious affiliation, which is roughly 90 million US citizens which are, according to Brad Wilcox, immoral or amoral. And that sounds like a scary world to live in, but, you know, the truth isn't so black and white, and actually, he's choosing to believe this, which Mormons are really good at. So I looked into the Global God Divide study, and I was looking for the part that he said, like, about the crisis, or that atheists are more likely to be selfish in a crisis, and I can't find it anywhere because it doesn't exist, because that's not what that study was measuring at all. The first two things he, he stated, you know, that more people are identifying as atheists than ever before, and that more people think that you don't need to believe in God to be a moral person, those things are correct, and that is what the study was measuring. Well, actually, only the second one, only people's views on the connection between belief in God and morality. But other studies do show that, you know, sec secularization is um, on the increase in the world, especially the Western world. But the thing about how how theists and atheists react in a crisis, it's nowhere to be found. He made that up. He completely made that up. Like, I don't know where he got it from, but it's not there, you know? So let's get this straight. He's just demonizing atheists because he feels like it. That's basically what's happening. He's actively antagonizing them and actively, you know, trying to create this us-versus-them sentiment. And it's especially alarming that Brad is saying this to a group of English teenagers. I looked it up, and according to the Office of National Statistics, 46% of people, English people, in 2019 identify as non-religious, which means he's literally antagonizing 46% of the entire UK population. Like, that's insane! That's insane! What must that do to the brains of these kids? Like, they know these people. Most of their peers at school are atheists or non-religious. Like, do you understand the sense of fear and of superiority that instills in these kids? It's not okay. It's just not okay. Instead of building bridges, Brad Wilcox has decided to burn them to the ground. But yeah, just very simply, can atheists be moral people? Answer, yes, they can be. And my advice to Brad would be, you know, read a book um, from any philosopher in the last 500 years because they've been figuring this out. And even more recently, um, people like Sam Harris, like the new atheists, have been exploring that how science can determine human morality. And I think it's fascinating, honestly. I really recommend that book. It's called The Moral Landscape. Or, you know, if you want something 
older. Take, for example, uh, Immanuel Kant's categorical imperative. He thought of two principles on which human morality is based on, or should be based on, is first the principle of consistency or universality, basically taking a specific action and asking what would the world look like if everyone did this thing. Which means, you know, you can say, well, murder is bad because if everyone would murder each other, everyone would be dead. So that's not good. And the second principle is the principle of respect. So you have to treat humans like ends in themselves and not as a means to an end. So in that sense, murder is also wrong because you have to treat people as conscious beings with autonomy, you know? Uh, so you have to treat them with respect for who they are as humans. And honestly, there's a myriad of other reasons to say that murder is wrong other than, well, God said so, you know? And believing in God doesn't automatically mean you're a good person either. Take some easy examples, for example, um, the, the Catholics with the Crusades or Muslim terrorism, and even within Mormonism, for example, the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Everyone who participated in those, you know, mass murders felt like they were well within their religious rights to do those things. So it's certainly not that black and white, Brad. The world really isn't that simple. But Brad goes on. So the way we believe in God affects the way we see ourselves. And it affects the way we treat other people. So can we just say, oh, that's fine. You believe what you want. I'll believe what I want. No. Believing in God matters because it changes the way we view and treat each other. I think he's saying this because, um, you know, religions and Mormonism specifically really want to feel special. They really want to feel like they have the exclusive way to being a good person and also the exclusive fullness of truth. Because why else would you be completing all these arbitrary rituals? Why else would you do all these things if you don't get rewarded for it in the eternities? So, you know, that lifestyle really hinges on them telling you that anything else um, apart from this lifestyle isn't as good or isn't as valid or will not make you as happy. They need that sense of exclusivity. And that's why they say, oh, we have the only true priesthood power. We have an extra book testifying of Christ. We have the only true living prophets, only true living church. We have a holy temple with holy rituals that you can't perform anywhere else and that you need to perform in order to get to the celestial kingdom. It instills a sense of need, like, oh, you need the church, you need the church. And now Brad is just perpetuating that idea. So now I'll play the next fragment, but there's just a lot to unpack, so listen carefully. There was a professor at BYU, a law professor, who spoke to the university community in a devotional, and he said this, what if we're wrong? <clears throat> What if God doesn't exist? He said, I am willing to be wrong in this way. If it means believing and treating others as if they are children of God, with the potential of becoming beings like unto a perfect and perfectly loving God, I'd rather make the mistake of attributing meaning and love to a universe that is meaningless and indifferent than vice versa. 
Besides, he said, we're not wrong. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. Can you see love? Can you prove love exists? Can you sense love with your senses? Or does it go beyond that? He says this. He says, love is the most powerful force in the universe. And I'm not sure we have any reason to believe love is real if we reject the existence of God, who's the source of love. There's so much, so much to talk about here. Okay, I've got four specific points. First one, he is using Pascal's wager. So the professor that he's quoting says, well, I'd rather believe in God and rather assign meaning to this seemingly meaningless universe than vice versa. So assign meaninglessness where there is meaning. So that's basically Pascal's wager. His proposition is that um, he'd rather believe in God just in case. In this case, not necessarily for uh, eternal reward, but it's basically the same thing. And the problem with this argument is the problem with Pascal's wager as well. There are many different gods you could believe in, many different interpretations of God, not just in different religions, but even in, within the same religion, different preachers, different leaders, different people have different interpretations of God, what God means. It's not the same to every person. So what makes believing in one God better than in another? What makes one God more true or more valid than another? So yeah, I think there is a significant logical problem there. The professor cites specifically, you know, treating people as children of God as a reason he wants to believe in this God, the Mormon God. But there are many different religions in which people are encouraged to treat others as children of God, especially, you know, all of Christianity. So why specifically Mormonism? Why does the Mormon church have a trademark on this love? Because that's what he's insinuating. He's saying, at, at first, you can't love people or love doesn't exist if God doesn't exist. So you have to believe in God to believe in love. That's what he's saying. And specifically Mormonism, because it's the one true and living church, according to Brad. And then he talks a bit about, you know, love. You know, you can't see love. You can't sense love. You can't measure love. There's no real reason to believe in love if you don't believe in God. Which I think is just such a stupid argument. If he knew anything about, like, neuroscience, he'd know that love can, to some extent, be quantified. Like, what is really happening in the brain and in the body um, when we experience what we call love? What specific hormones are released when we experience this? For example, dopamine, oxytocin, adrenaline. To say that we can't measure love in any way, in any scientific way, would be false. So you don't have to believe in God to believe in love because you can prove that love exists. And that experience of love is not directly an indicative proof of God's existence. That's just an assumption that he's making. It's a logical fallacy. But then Brad goes on, and apparently believing in God is not good enough for him. You have to go one step further. Now, it's very popular today to hear people say, well, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious. If you haven't heard that, then you haven't been listening because lots of people are saying those words. What it means is, well, I believe in God, fine, I'm, I'm fine if God exists. 
but I don't want him to ask anything of me. I certainly don't want him to give me any commandments or requirements. I'm okay to just be spiritual and not be religious. So he's talking about spirituality versus religiosity and why a lot of people are calling themselves spiritual rather than religious. So let's look at the definition of what this means. So spiritual but not religious, also known as spiritual but not affiliated, is a popular phrase used to self-identify a life stance of spirituality that does not regard organized religion as the sole or most valuable means of furthering spiritual growth. So these people can still believe in God or not believe in God, but identify as spiritual, whatever that means to them. And I would identify as spiritual but not religious. Um, in the sense that I, I don't believe in God at all. I am an agnostic atheist, but I do feel a connection to nature, to the universe, uh, to the people around me, and that sense of connection is where my spirituality comes from. To me, spirituality is a sense of connection and of awareness. And many people who practice mindfulness and meditation and yoga and all these things tend to agree. So I'll speak from personal experience here. Why did I reject all organized religion? It's because I think that if you want to have some kind of connection with the divine or the world around you, the universe, whatever you call it, right? I don't believe you need an intermediary or a hierarchical structure to tell you how to do that. Because I think once you introduce power into that relationship, allow someone to have power over you, over your worthiness, things go off the rails really quickly. And I don't think anyone else has the right to tell me what God wants me to do. But Brad is saying, oh, so, well, you believe in God, but you don't want to, him to ask anything of you. Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I don't want other people to pretend to know what he asks of me, supposing he exists, of course, because even if I would believe in God, and I did for a while after leaving, um, I believed in God, but I didn't believe that he actually talked to people. I was more of a deist at that time, which is not something that Brad touches upon, you know, believing in a non-interventionist God, because apparently that's not an option in his world. And you know, what if the only thing God really asks of us is to govern ourselves according to the principle of the golden rule? What if things really are that simple? What if you don't believe you need to, to take the sacrament or be baptized or confess your sins or be endowed to be worthy to enter the kingdom of God? What if the kingdom of God is within you? You know? So there's plenty of valid reasons to reject organized religion. And there are also valid reasons to accept organized religion. Like, I'm not stopping you. I'm not stopping anyone from engaging in organized religion. Your lifestyle is completely valid. Like, I understand the positives as well. For me personally, the positives just don't outweigh the negatives, but that is different for every person. I respect that, you know? I just don't need anyone to tell me that my decision is morally, objectively wrong. So why not just love each other and accept each other's decisions? We can all be moral people, no matter what we believe in. But nope, apparently Brad cannot do that. So he starts belittling spirituality. Elder Jeffrey R. Holland spoke at a devotional at BYU several years ago, and he said, spirituality would be fine if we all lived alone on mountaintops. Well, see, then it would be fine to just say, hey, I'm spiritual. I love everyone. But we don't live alone on a mountaintop. 
we live in communities. We live in societies. We live in families. And as long as we live in groups, then we need religion. We need the group practice of spirituality. We need the expectations, the routines, the standards of religion that force us to bring that mountaintop spirituality down to where the rubber hits the road. So he's saying that spirituality is not practical. He thinks spirituality is all just empty promises, like, oh, I love everyone, but not putting into practice or putting your money where your mouth is, which is just false, you know? Spirituality is not just pretending to love everyone, it is trying to love everyone, trying to be kind, to see everyone as valuable, everyone as worthy in and of themselves. And do you really need that routine for that? Do you really need those rituals, those covenants for that? And more importantly, do you really need that eternal reward for that? I personally would argue no, of course. I mean, maybe some people need that encouragement. Maybe some people will only be good if you tell them that if they're good, they will go to heaven. Um, but I don't think everyone is like that, and I don't think everyone should be like that. We can be good for the sake of goodness, you know? We can love for the sake of loving. And that's also my advice to Brad, is to just show some love, man. Please just think about what you're saying, and try to be a little less condescending. Um, thank you. And so, yeah, that's all I wanted to say today. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope to see you next time. Have a good day.